Hello and welcome to the second of an initial series of eight new podcast episodes on the challenge of collaboration. I'm your host, Gemma Oak. Can you collaborate with people you don't trust? Our recent research shows that 54% of Britons believe it's simply a fact of life that you have to work with people you don't trust. Yet 73% would never admit to someone that they don't trust them. In this podcast, Andy Rogers talks to Jeff Lloyd, Executive Director of Tax Controversy and Risk Management at Ernst & Young, about an area where trust is rarely absolute and in which, perhaps surprisingly, emotions can run high. Jeff Lloyd, thank you very much for being with us today. Um, in the survey we conducted asking people about collaboration, it showed that people regard trust as a highly valued um, commodity. Um, but what happens when it's not there? In your experience, um, can you collaborate with people you don't trust? Uh, yes, you can. Um, and I work in tax disputes, and tax is an area where uh, it's quite rare for there to be complete trust between a taxpayer and a tax authority in relation to a tax dispute. But nevertheless, you, you still have to work together. Uh, and the reason for that being, of course, that the tax authorities are often looking to see how they can maximise tax revenues, and the taxpayer will be looking to see whether they can minimise revenue, so they're coming from a, from a different position. Um, but nevertheless, um, there can be certain uh, elements of trust that can be used to sort of get a collaborative um, engagement going. Um, I mean, for example, if you break down a relationship into its constituent parts, there may be quite a number of those parts where there is already trust. The taxpayer and the tax authority may, for example, uh, trust each other to stick to a given timetable, and that's a really good, good place to start. Or the tax authority may trust the honesty of a taxpayer, even if they don't necessarily trust the conclusion that they've come to. So, so my experience is that um, latching on to the trust that's there, that already exists, is a great way of actually starting to get collaboration going in relation to a tax dispute. And, and in terms of building the trust, do you think it can be done um, over the course of a couple of meetings, or does it take a longer period with, with reflection? I think it often takes quite a period of reflection before the first meeting because the norm for both a tax authority and for taxpayers is, as I say, to, to I guess, suspend trust initially because the tax authority is testing out what the taxpayer has done. Uh, and the taxpayer doesn't necessarily trust the tax authority to give them a fair outcome to a dispute. So often there's a process of actually reflecting on how can... Um, uh, trust be built? Uh, how can a, a commitment to working collaboratively actually de be developed before that first meeting? And that might involve entering into uh, an agreement with the tax authority that you actually want to work um, a dispute in a collaborative way and you want to work with the tax authority in a collaborative way, um, starting with um, agreement on what is it that you're disputing. That's, that's often one of the big issues that leads to tax disputes going on for a very long time is uncertainty or a misunderstanding on each side about what the pointed issue is. So starting with that and really being clear, what are we arguing about, is a great place to start. Um, and then you can build on that, as, as you've said, in, in a number of meetings, perhaps initially with a meeting that um, identifies uh, what the pointed issue is in language that both sides accept, not simply assuming that each, each other's uh, understanding of the issues is accepted by the other. And then moving on from that, saying, well, are there some building blocks, some step-by-step -step questions that could unpack that pointed issue? And we can agree what those questions are. So you're already beginning to agree, and that's great for building trust. So you're agreeing what the questions are, even if you put the answers to one side for a moment. 
And then from that you can move on and say, well, if we agree what this point at issue is and we agree what the questions are that help us to answer that, can we then agree what sources of information or what documents might be needed to actually help us answer the questions? So you've gone quite a long way down what traditionally can be a very lengthy process in a tax dispute, jumping from rock to rock, if you like, on areas of agreement, and then only then do you then start to say, well, all right, we've, we've got this information, we agree it's relevant, we agree these are the questions, you know, where do we go from there? And over those course of the meetings, you've built a huge amount of trust, and that can have a a really useful effect to a, a dynamism of, of, of trust that helps you then to sort of start to explore whether there are ways that you can answer those questions that you can both agree with. In, in the uh, discussions and the relationships you, you build uh, between the um, tax authority and the taxpayer, um, does there tend to be a, a calm level of... Uh, emotion is it fairly dispassionate or does it get quite emotional and what does that do to the ability to be able to work collaboratively that's a really good question because you wouldn't expect tax to be something that gets emotional but it does Um, a lot of people have gone into tax as a profession perhaps on the government side because they're looking at um, making sure that fair amounts of tax are paid and they've got an eye on the schools and the hospitals Mm -hmm. and they may get quite emotional about the fact that someone's worked to reduce their level of tax And equally, uh, a taxpayer may be determined that they're paying the tax that they believe is right in law and they don't see the argument that they should necessarily pay more than that. So things can get quite heated. And of course, things can also get heated if you've got misunderstandings. Um, If, for example, you hear a question from HMRC in the UK and you hear that question as actually uh, challenging your honesty, that can be something that gets to the heart of somebody where they know that they've been scrupulously honest and what, what's actually at issue is, is not so much the honesty around the facts, but it's the interpretation that's placed on that. So that can lead to emotions flaring up. And it's always really useful to recognise that that may happen and think about ways of neutralising that so that you can get back onto a sort of even keel and a, a way of actually working your way through it. Yeah. Um, th- that's extremely interesting. And going back to what you were saying at the beginning, do you think it's almost as if there's a third party, uh, which is the, now the public interest in uh, individuals and uh, organisations paying the right level of tax, which creates a risk around collaborating. Um, If if you could talk a bit about that sort of risk. Yeah, there's absolutely a third party in the room and it's it's like the law that will sit on the tax tax inspector's shoulder the whole time. Um, So the the tax authority should not be reaching agreement with taxpayers that goes outside the law. So it's not like a normal commercial type of mediation where both sides can come into the room and really decide whatever they want, um, and uh, that could be the basis of their agreement. As far as, as far as HMRC is concerned, it's been very clear that it will only reach settlements which are in accordance with the law. But that isn't so much of a hurdle to collaborative working, because the taxpayer will generally also be looking for a result that's right in law. They'll also be looking to, if they're in business, they'll be looking to what sort of settlements are reached with their competitors, so they'll want to make sure there's a level playing field. So a settlement that's in accordance with the law is something that both parties can can share as, as an objective mm-hmm. and, and work towards. And it also gives a framework within which the two sides can actually be looking together and using collaborative ways of working to say, well, here's the given 
framework of law, we're both working within that, how does it actually apply to these particular facts and circumstances? So you can use that framework of law as a catalyst for working collaboratively rather than regarding that as a hurdle. And just thinking through your career to date, you've obviously observed a number of different sorts of collaborations. Why do you think some have succeeded whereas others uh, might have failed? Ultimately, I think it comes down to a mindset. You know, have you got a mindset in, in relation to a particular dispute that says, I'm going to be working here towards resolving this dispute, as opposed to, for example, wanting to be proved right at whatever cost? Uh, so it's very easy to reach a conclusion very early on, perhaps a prejudice, as to what the right answer is, or possibly as to what somebody's motivations are. Um, and if you do that, then it's very difficult for the dispute to be resolved uh, quickly because you keep asking more and more questions to try to prove your own point, and that leads to a very lengthy dispute and the sort of ships passing in the night discussion that often characterises really lengthy disputes. Whereas on the other hand, if you have this mindset that says, I recognise that there are tensions here. Um, if you're on the HMRC side, I recognise that the taxpayer may be looking to interpret the law in a way that's favourable to them, or if you're the, the taxpayer, you know, the, the reverse. But we've got this framework of law. How do we use that and work together to resolve the dispute and find an outcome which we can both be comfortable is right in law? Um, and how does the law apply to those facts? Because that's often quite a complicated issue, um, and it's not something necessarily that is uh, susceptible to... Um, a prejudicial view right from the start, you need to work at it to actually get to what the right answer is. If you had to advise someone on how to become good at collaborating in uh, your area of day-to-day uh, -day work, um, say if, if a colleague knocked on your door and said, um, Jeff, how do I become a good collaborator? What, what would be the sorts of things you would tell them? Okay, so what I'm doing now is advising yeah. taxpayers yeah. in relation to disputes with HMRC. Yeah. And, and what's really important to start with is to realise that being collaborative does not simply mean um, sort of f f folding over and, and, and relinquishing one's position, you know, relinquishing one's rights. Because often um, a tax authority may be asking for information. That's what a tax authority actually thrives on is, is information. Uh, and you may not regard that information as relevant. So it's not actually being collaborative necessarily simply to provide all sorts of irrelevant information that might be asked. Being collaborative is around putting yourself in the shoes of the other person, thinking about what, what, what are their priorities, what's important to them, and what's important to you, understanding that, being ready to listen to what the other the party is saying and preferably doing that face to face so that, so that you can actually see the body language as well as hear the language. Um, and then being determined that you're going to work together, you know, within the framework of your rights and the law to try and, to, to try and get an outcome. So I suppose summing that up, um, being very self-aware and aware of your rights and responsibilities, but also being really ready to listen and trying to then use that process to find a way that's acceptable to both parties. A video of the interview with Jeff, along with the last episode featuring Sir Peter Middleton, can be found at cedar.com forward slash collaboration. 
Next time, we pay a visit to London Business School to speak with Professor of Organisational Behaviour, Nigel Nicholson, about the role of the leader in collaborative working. To subscribe to this series for free, please visit iTunes Podcast Store and search for CEDA. To subscribe to this series for free, please visit the iTunes Podcast Store and search for CEDA. To get in touch with any questions about the project, or if you have any feedback, please tweet us at CEDA says or email us at info at Thank you for listening.